it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I'm Danita Bailey. I wanted to start out by telling you all that today is the anniversary of Noggin Educational Foundation. School Days is sponsored by Noggin, and four years ago today be we became official. As most of you know, my husband David is a teacher, and after years of watching him work with students from different backgrounds and walks of life, God developed in me a passion to help students that didn't have access to a quality education or educational resources that they truly needed. So today, October 15th, is our anniversary. We'd love for you to know more about what we do and why we're passionate about serving these students. So you can do that by going to Noggin, that's N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org. So without further ado, let's talk about our show today. School systems used to be one size fits all. There was pretty much one option, but this didn't always work for all students. These days, parents have an array of options available to them, and they're able to make choices that work best for their children. But the question is, which choice is the right one? So we talked to Rochelle, who's a mother of three, and we talked about her journey of school choice and Here's what she had to say. My my three sons are now um, in school and we're having a difficult time finding the right fit for them. Um, they have been through private school, charter school, public school, and even homeschooled. Um, I find that each child is different and that I have to find the right fit for my children. I don't know exactly um, where our path will take us, but I know that I'm um, having a child that's already been diagnosed with speech and another one with dyslexia. I'm going to have to be very intentional on advocating for my sons in order for them to get the services that they need. Whatever it takes for my sons to be successful, I'm willing to do. I would advise every parent to do your research, find out what your children's learning style is, find out the best way to help your children in this process so that you can be their advocate, so you can be your support system for them, and also so that you can get the support you need in order to finish the journey. So before we go any further, let me just say that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, add the hashtag school days show or hashtag I am school days. And as always, we do want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, head to our Facebook page at Noggin, that's N-O-G-G-I-N foundation and find our Facebook live there. You can drop us a comment or a question. So let me just take a second to introduce our guest. We have today with us Andrew Campanella. He's the president of National School Choice Week, the largest public awareness effort in the U.S., focusing on the opportunity for kids in K through 12 education. With the goal of informing parents of their school choice options, Andrew and the NSCW team work with more than 21,000 schools annually, 
along with thousands of organizations and homeschooling groups. Andrew is the author of the forthcoming book, The School Choice Roadmap, Seven Steps to Finding the Right School for Your Child, a guidebook that will help parents identify in, uh, education environments that meet their children's needs. Prior to joining NSCW, Andrew served in senior-level positions at the American Federation for Children and the Alliance for School Choice. He grew up in southern Jersey, New Jersey, <laughs> graduated from American University in Washington, D.C., and now lives in Florida. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Danita. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just jump right in. Tell us, what is National School Choice Week? Well, every child across this country deserves an excellent, effective education, an education that is tailored to his or her individual unique needs. And we want parents to be able to look around and find schools and learning environments that meet the unique needs of their kids. So we created National School Choice Week 10 years ago. And National School Choice Week is a time when parents all across the country can look at all the different options available for their children's education. And it gives them enough time to visit schools, apply to schools, and make choices for the upcoming school year. So whether you're a parent of a child who's just starting out in school and going to kindergarten or first grade, or a parent who might wanna pick a different learning environment for your child, you can use National School Choice Week to look into these options. And during the week, Parents work together to explore their options. Schools plan open houses and school tours and so many other different types of events so that parents can learn about different options in their communities. And this upcoming January, January 26th through February 1st, we'll be celebrating the 10th annual National School Choice Week with 50,000 events and activities all across America. That's great. I've seen some of the videos. What's the significance of the yellow scarves that all the children are wearing? Well, it's in January, so it's freezing <laughs> cold in a lot of places. And we wanted to give something to people that was bright, that was uh, exciting and was fun and could be worn in the cold and was useful, too. So scarves uh, were the ideal choice. And they're yellow because yellow is an optimistic color. It reminds you of a school bus and you cannot <laughs> miss these scarves when you're wearing them. That's true. Tell us what are the different types of school environments that are options to as parents? Well, parents across the country today in the United States have more choices for their children's education in grades K through 12 than at any other time in history. And so you have traditional public schools and within traditional public schools, there are more options to choose schools in your district or even outside of your district. There are public magnet schools, which are theme-based. They're public schools, they're free to attend also. Those schools focus on things like math, science, technology, the arts. There are public charter schools. They are also free to attend, public. No tests required to get into charter schools. Charter schools often focus on specific curriculum or instructional styles. You have online public schools where a teacher works with students via computers and telephones and sometimes in-person meetings. They're available in about half of U.S. states. You have private and religious schools, 
Some schools that are private have no faith. Uh, some are faith-based. Some are expensive, and some are affordable. And there are scholarship opportunities, both private scholarships and publicly funded scholarships all across the country for parents who want to send their kids to private schools. And of course, you have the original school choice, which is homeschooling. And parents hmm. can homeschool their kids in any state across the country. Homeschooling is legal, and there are more resources and networking opportunities for homeschooling families today than there ever have been before. So to just recap, there are six options available to most families across the country right now. Traditional public, public charter, public magnet, online public, homeschooling, and private. Why is school choice even a necessary thing? Why, aren't the, why isn't your neighborhood school going to be the best choice for you? Well, just think about your community and think about things like parks or grocery stores. You have probably a few different parks that you could go to. Maybe you want to go to a park where there's fishing or maybe you want to go to a park where there's hiking. There are different types of parks because people have different types of interests. Think about foods at the grocery store. Go down the bread aisle. There are so many different types of bread because everybody have, has different preferences and dietary needs. Schools are no different. What might be a great school for one student might not be a good fit for the child next door. And that's not a knock on the school. That is also not a knock on the student. It is simply because every child is unique. Every child has different learning styles, responds differently to different instructional strategies, thrives in different types of environments. So when you have school choice and give parents the opportunity to look at all their options and make a good decision for their children, you're better able to pair up individual students with schools that meet their needs. So it's, it's just as simple as that. Just like parents make choices, every single day in dozens of different ways in every other aspect of life. You mentioned the six different choices. Does school choice also pertain to choices within your local school districts? Are there, is there open enrollment options for most of the districts of, across the country? Absolutely, and one of the biggest myths about school choice is that it is somehow um, a policy that's designed to detract from or dissuade people from choosing schools within the traditional public school system. The reality is we at National School Choice Week work with districts all across the country and traditional public schools are an essential component to school choice because there are more traditional public schools out there than any other type of school. Right. And so parents, with the difference I would say now is there are more options within the district school system where parents can choose more than just one school in their district, not just the school they were assigned based on their zip code. In some states, you can choose any school within your district, and districts are required to make those choices available to families through state open enrollment laws. In other states, districts are required to let students in regardless of where they live, even if they live in a different district. So in about 21 states, Districts are required to let parents choose within the district. And in 22 states, districts are required to accept students re uh, regardless of where they live, uh, in the district, outside the district, etc. Of course, there are always some limitations and always some different rules governing open enrollment. 
but there are more options like that available than there ever have been. What is an ideal time to start looking? If you're thinking about making a change, when do you want to start doing that? So if you're looking to choose your child's first school, or if you're looking to change schools, maybe you're moving or your child's in a school uh, that is not a good fit for she or he, I encourage parents to start in the winter. And that's one of the reasons that National School Choice Week takes place in January. Because if you start in the winter, you have enough time to go through sort of the seven steps of choosing a good school for your child or a learning environment, because you might end up choosing homeschooling. Uh, if you start in the winter, start in January, you'll have enough time to visit schools, ask questions, do your research, narrow down your options, and enroll. I'm glad you said that there are seven steps. What are those seven steps for choosing a school? Okay, so these are uh, the steps that I recommend, and they are from my book, which you mentioned in the introduction, which is coming out on January 20th, The School Choice Roadmap, Seven Steps to Choosing uh, to Finding the Right School for Your Child. And the first step is to really take stock of your own education experiences as mm -hmm. a parent. As parents go into the school choice process, navigating all their options with their own ideas about education based on the education they receive. So I encourage parents to look back, think about what you learned most, what you wish you learned but didn't learn, what environments worked well for you, and then think about how your child is similar or different from you are. And think about if you're still in the same area where you went to school, how schools in your area have changed over time, remembering that schools can change for better or worse very quickly. So that's step one. And then step two is really about your child, identifying who and what you want your child to be. And that's not being a doctor or a fireman or a lawyer or whatever. It's the type of person you want your child to turn out to be and what values you as parents find important, what principles you have, what environments you think your child will thrive in based on your own experiences. A lot of parents go into the school search process thinking that they wish they knew more about education. What I tell them is you know more about the most important hmm. thing in this process. That thing is not a thing, it's your child. Right. You are an expert about your child and your child's needs. So step two is to really evaluate those needs and evaluate what environment your child or environments your child would thrive in. Step three is to get into the specifics about what you want and need in a school. There are some needs that every parent shares. You want your child to learn at school. You want your child to be safe at school. You want your child to be happy at school. And happiness is not something that is going to happen every single day in school, but it should happen more often than not. You want your kid to come home excited about learning uh, as, as often as possible. Um, <laughs> You want your child to feel respected at school, and you as a parent want to be respected in school too. And the fifth thing that sort of wraps all this up is you want the feeling of success and the reality of success. You want your child succeeding and progressing in school and to the next grade level. So you're going to look at all the needs and wants, what you need and what you want. Some of the wants are really specific. For example, 
perhaps you want your child to be in a language immersion program and you want to find a school that offers that. Perhaps you want your child or your child wants to take a specific course or participate in an extracurricular activity. Make a big list of all these needs and wants. So that is step three. Step four is to make another big list, and this time it's of all the schools in your area. You're gonna make the list, you're gonna research these schools online, you're gonna strike some schools off the list based on your research, and you are going to make a short list of schools that you either wanna visit, in the case of bricks and mortar schools with physical locations, call and interview in the case of virtual or online schools. And you wanna consider homeschooling too, so you wanna take time during this step to look up all the rules, all the policies, and all the opportunities for homeschoolers in your state. Step five is to actually go on those school tours. And when you're on a tour, ask as many questions as possible to see if those schools will be a good fit. Step six is to evaluate all of your options based on your initial research, based on your school tours, based on conversations with your family, etc. Narrow it down to about three schools. And step seven is to decide, apply, and enroll. Let me ask you about the school visit. What should I be looking for in the school visit? What kind of things can I ask for that maybe some parents don't think about? So the one biggest piece of advice I would have about school tours and visits, well, they're actually a bunch of things, and they're in the book, but I'll share a few of them, is number one, they are really important visiting a school and getting a sense of what that school offers and how they treat parents and kids is incredibly important to this process. So don't skip the tours. The second thing I would say is pretend that you are on a scavenger hunt when you are on a school tour and your goal is to search for signs of learning and success. Obviously, when you're touring something, whether it's a house, an apartment, um, checking out a car, something like that, you're automatically attracted to looking at things like, well, do I like the way the building looks? Do I like the way the walls are decorated? Do I uh, get a good first impression? And those things might be important, but at a school, you wanna focus on learning. You wanna see how teachers are treating students. You want to ask questions based on your list of needs and wants that you developed earlier in this process and you wanna take as many notes as possible because if you go on a bunch of school tours, all these tours might start to blend together in your mind <laughs> uh, at the end of the process. Is it appropriate for me to ask to sit in on a class? Absolutely, it totally is appropriate. Now some schools have different rules and they might not allow it for an extended period of time, but there is nothing wrong with asking to sit in on a class as long as you're not going to disrupt the class. I think it's, you know, the longer you can spend in the school getting a sense of how things work, the better. Um, that's why I personally think that individual tours or tours with groups of parents can be um, helpful or as an add-on to an open house because open houses are usually at night. They're very helpful. They're valuable. They're interesting. But you want to see what your child will experience day in and day out at that school. Is there any, is it, does it make sense to ask the administrators to refer you to some parents at the school? Yes. So I encourage parents to check references of schools. And 
Um, there are a few different ways to do this. You can find out through your own networks, uh, parents that you know who send their kids to school. Um, you can use the internet, find families that way. You can ask the school for references. Remember, of course, that any school is going to give you the best possible references. Exactly. Uh, so using your own networks might be better. And also remember this, when parents choose schools for their kids, they often, um, in some cases, will be hesitant to tell other families that they think they made the wrong choice. So in the book, there are questions that I encourage you to ask when you're checking those references so that you can get as honest uh, of answers as possible. Because if you just ask, do you like it here? Are you glad you made this choice? You might just get some generic answers that that might not help you get to the bottom of whether or not that school will be a good fit for your daughter or son when i'm making a list of the schools that i'm considering are i might have a tendency to not put some schools on the list for one reason or another what do you think about doing that should i consider some that maybe i might not be thinking are good choices yeah well so there are a few uh examples of this that that make sense in both ways you know Including schools you might not ordinarily consider, uh, and then excluding schools um, that, that you know you would never send your child to for whatever reason. For example, uh, if you're of one faith and you know you're not going to send your child to a school of a different faith, uh, and you're looking at religious schools, you, you would exclude some of those schools from your list. Um, but I encourage parents don't leave schools off your list for reasons of cost and reasons of uh, worrying about your child getting in. Um, only a few types of schools require tests for enrollment. Traditional public schools do not, they never do. Charter schools do not, they never do. Um, online public schools do not, and they never do. Some magnet schools, 25% of magnet schools require tests, 75% don't. Um, so those four types of schools are also completely and totally tuition free. So when you think about traditional public schools, public charter schools, magnet schools and online public schools they are always free never charged tuition not allowed private schools people will say well i'm going to exclude private schools because i can't afford tuition i encourage you to include them on your list if you're interested in them because there are so many scholarship opportunities available whether they're academic scholarships or need-based scholarships or state-funded tax credit scholarships or opportunity scholarships you name it there are a lot of options available and even if you're not certain that you'll be uh, getting a scholarship, why limit your options? So I think having a big comprehensive list is helpful, but obviously if you know some schools will not be a good fit, don't include them. Let's talk about the different options specifically. First of all, charter schools. What's the difference between a charter and a public school? Okay, so for a parent who is choosing a school, you might not see many of the differences immediately. A charter school is similar to a district school or a traditional public school in the following ways. Free to attend, no testing to get in, has to enroll every child who applies as long as there's room. Um, they're also subject to the same laws and regulations related to certified teachers and accreditation if the state has those rules, etc. What's different is that charter schools only open and uh, grow based on parent demand. So 
if a charter school opens in your community and nobody is interested in sending their child to it, the charter school will close. It's a demand-based school. Nobody is ever assigned by a district to attend that school. Charter schools succeed uh, in communities because they offer something that is unique, different, um, or appealing to families in that area. So for example, every charter school in the country is founded on an individual or unique idea. One school might be founded on the idea that small class sizes are better. And uh, that's the theory that the founders of that school had. So they opened a school focused on that. Another school might be founded on a completely different theory that focusing on reading in the early grades is the way to accelerate academic achievement. Another school might be focused on inquiry-based learning where Kids ask lots of questions, and based on those questions, a path for learning develops for them. So every charter school has a different approach. It's not always a theme, but it's a different academic approach. In traditional public schools, there are different approaches, but usually within a district, those approaches are standardized across all the schools in that district. How are charter schools held accountable? Charter schools are held accountable because what a charter is, and people wonder, why do they call them this, charter schools? A charter is basically a contract, a contract with either a school district, a college or university, a mayor's office, whoever created the school, creates a contract with a nonprofit organization that wants to run the school. Often that nonprofit was created by public school teachers or teachers of, from any type of school who wanted to start their own school and they create this contract with the organization that creates them, which is called an authorizer. And in that contract, which is called a charter, it spells out the specific benchmarks that the school needs to meet in order to stay open, whether it's academic benchmarks, financial benchmarks, enrollment benchmarks, etc. And if schools don't meet those benchmarks, they are held accountable by their authorizer, by the people who allowed the school to open, up to and including closing the school if they don't meet those benchmarks. So when you hear about charter schools closing, it is always sad to see a school close, but it means that accountability mechanisms uh, are working. That's great. In any case, some cases it's unfair. I mean, but uh, in, in a lot of cases when schools close for academic reasons uh, or lack of interest, lack of enrollment reasons, it means that the accountability system um, has reached the point where that school uh, is no longer, uh, the authorizer is no longer willing to contract with that nonprofit to run the school. Interesting note that I didn't realize, uh, New Orleans has become the first school district in the country to have all charter schools in uh, New Orleans, I, I guess ISD. Um, so how did this come about and is it working for students? Well, I think that, uh, First, how it came about, it came about after Hurricane Katrina and the immediate need to rebuild a school system in a city that was ravaged by a terrible storm. And so the quickest, most efficient way to rebuild uh, a school system there was to have independent charter schools open um, and create a entirely choice friendly district. There's also a private school choice program in New Orleans that serves families uh, as well. Is it working? That's up, for, up to individual parents to decide. I believe that uh, the idea of having choices and giving families choices is 
in and of itself one of the most important factors in education because if a parent can find a school that meets their children's needs and wants and likes and make them happy and successful um, that to me is a big win so you would have to ask individual families if it's working for them mm -hmm. I think choice in and of itself is, is definitely something to strive for moving on to another option what are the benefits of going to a private school well, the benefits of going to a private school will vary based on your child's needs and interests. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is that <clears throat> what it makes a good school is what is right for your child. And I don't personally believe that there is any one type of school that is better than the rest. So if I thought there was, I'd be honest and tell people. But I thought that traditional public schools were better than charter schools, or that charter schools were better than district schools, that private schools were better than magnet schools. I personally don't believe that. I have seen students in all different types of education environments thriving. What matters most is what works for your child. The label of a good school or a great school really only matters if it is a good school or a great school for your daughter or son. There are so many different reasons that parents might want to choose a private education. It could be academics. It could be safety. It could be um, the discipline at the school. It could be more structured school day. It could be smaller or larger class sizes. It could be a specific academic focus. It could be extracurricular activities. So it really runs the gamut. And I don't want to evade <laughs> your question here, but I do believe that um, I do believe in avoiding cookie cutter answers when it comes to education because every child is unique and I want to give people as honest of a perspective as I can. One thing to note about private schools is that they're not required to provide special education programming. So what do parents of children with special needs and learning disabilities and things like that need to know when they're considering a switch to that? That's a really good point. And another thing to note is that even though federal law does not require that. There are so many private schools that have been established just to serve students with disabilities or special learning needs. And I've visited some of those schools. I've talked with them for our National School Choice Week newsletter highlighting happiness. And I have been absolutely inspired by so many of these schools. They are doing incredible work. And in fact, in many cases, traditional public schools in some cases, rather, traditional public schools, if they cannot serve a child with a disability or with special learning needs or differences, they will out, uh, do what's called an outplacement and put that child in a private school at the district's expense. So just because the law does not require private schools to serve students um, who have IEPs, individualized education plans, does not mean that those schools do not provide those services. However, if you are looking at schools, you need to make sure you ask a lot of questions, especially if your child does learn differently. And I encourage people in the book, I have a bunch of different questions that families can ask, including give me an example of how a child who has a similar learning difference has succeeded in this school and how you got that child to succeed. You don't just wanna ask, um, general questions about do you accept students with special learning needs you want to get specific so that you can get as good of an answer as possible so that you can make the best decision uh, for your child as possible 
Let's take a, just a quick pause to say that if you have any questions or comments for our guest, Andrew Campanella, with the National School Choice Week, we are not actually taking calls today, but you can find us on our Facebook Live. That's at Noggin Foundation, N-O-G-G-I-N Foundation, and we would love to hear from you guys. So tell us what a magnet school is. A magnet school is a theme-based public school. So magnet schools are free to attend. Some of them, you have to take a test, your child has to take a test, or meet some academic benchmarks in order to get into it. These schools usually cover students in one district or in a group of districts. And I have seen magnet schools that have focused on the most exciting and interesting themes. Everything from arts, science, technology, aviation, medical sciences, uh, performing arts, I mean, when you walk into a magnet school, you're immediately overwhelmed and inspired because you immediately feel the theme of that school. Mm. And um, I find magnet schools to be really interesting and really exciting. And they don't get talked about a lot as uh, an important school choice option, but there are thousands of them all across, across the country. And I encourage parents to consider them when they're looking at their, uh, their children's options. And you qualify for in many different ways. One is the lottery system and then auditions and things like that. In some cases, in, in, in three quarters of the schools, magnet schools, they let every student in as long as there's space. There's no requirements, no auditions required, no testing required. Now, you brought up a good point about lottery systems and what's that all about? So some of these schools that we're talking about, whether it's a charter school or a magnet school, uh, or in some cases, uh, traditional district schools, depending on the area, if there are not enough seats in that school uh, for to meet the demand of parents, so if you have 100 seats and 1,000 parents want to send their kids to that school, how do you figure out which 100 kids get to go to that school? Well, in charter schools, they're required to hold what's called a randomized lottery. And it's a lottery where they basically essentially pick numbers out of a hat or pick numbers out of a computerized hat uh, to determine which students can go to that school. So charter schools aren't allowed to say, hey, look, you know, we want these kids over here in this group because they tested better. Or we want these kids over here because they'd be better on sports teams. That's not allowed. That's against the law. So the lottery system is designed to even the playing field and make sure that everybody who applies has an equal opportunity to get accepted to that school. A lot of magnet schools operate on the same type of system. Okay. We actually did an entire show about homeschooling. So if you're listening, I encourage you to go back and listen to the, the moms that we talked about that homeschool. But I'd like to know a little bit more about online academies because we really didn't cover that much. Yeah, so <clears throat> online academies are another type of school that's incredibly inspiring and inspirational. And frankly, I find inspirational schools everywhere throughout all six sectors of education. And I have the great privilege of being able to talk to school leaders every single day. So I'm inspired by so many things out there. I think that we're uh, entering the golden age of, of public and, and private education in America. Um, online education is one of the next frontiers. If you hand an iPhone, an iPad, any uh, digital device to even a young child, they almost instinctively know how to use it. I just don't know how it works. I don't know how 
uh, these kids know how to use these devices. Um, so kids are learning at an early age how to learn using technology. And online schooling is a way to harness that knowledge and understanding of technology for the sake of knowledge acquisition, learning. And students are paired with teachers online. They often get to set their own school day schedule. They can um, log in at certain times, talk with their teachers, interact with their classes, go through other exercise modules. Um, and there are a lot of different ways that online schooling is administered. Um, some of them are more structured. Some of them are less structured. Some of them have a set schedule. Some of them allow students to set their own schedule. So um, students who are in the younger grades are often coached by their parents, but they still work with a teacher uh, online. Students in the older grades uh, are more independent in their learning. Is there a cost associated with these? Or does it no. just depend? In fact, they're online public schools, so they're tuition free. And in many cases, if not in most cases, the school will provide students with the equipment they need. So computer um, devices and in some cases, uh, Internet access for their home so that there are no barriers to the child attending that school. The one thing I will say to families is online schooling is not necessarily easier. And what some people think when they think of online schooling is, well, you're just clocking in and clocking out. Every student and parent I've talked to who has uh, either attended or sent their child to an online school has said that it's rigorous and it's demanding and it's just like the education you'd get in a traditional bricks and mortar environment. It's just more customized and more self-paced. Um, the other thing I would tell people is don't assume that just because your child is taking classes online that he or she will not be able to make friends or socialize. There are a ton of activities and groups and extracurricular uh, functions that are created just for students who are in online schools. So there are a lot of opportunities for socializing uh, if you choose the virtual school route. So do some of the parents that um, provide online learning for their students participate in some of these homeschool co-ops just like traditional homeschool moms and in dads? Some cases, yes. So you did the, the episode, the podcast on homeschooling, so I'm sure you talked all about the different resources available. There are similar resources available for virtual school families. Sometimes virtual school families will participate in homeschooling co-ops and homeschooling um, groups and uh, things like that. Other times they consider themselves fully virtual school families and they stick with the virtual school resources, et cetera. Does a degree from an online school carry the same weight as a traditional school degree when you're applying for colleges? Great question. The answer is yes. And I would also tell parents, when you're looking at schools, there's a whole section of my book that has questions and answers. This is one of them. Um, I would say focus more on whether your child will learn and get a good education at the school you're looking at rather than college prospects down the road, it used to be that there were more challenges for homeschooling families, virtual schooling families, and students who attended schools that were different than uh, traditional district schools or private schools in getting into college. That is really no longer the case um, for the vast majority of colleges. Now, if you're looking at elite private universities, they still do have what are called feeder schools 
in some cities across the country. These are highly ranked uh, magnet schools or public schools or private schools where they get a lot of their students from. Nothing is going to change about that system in terms of uh, admissions, but then again, we hear with all these admission scandals going on, a need for a shakeup in, in college admissions in general. So maybe there will be a change. Um, long answer to your short question is uh, the type of school you send your child to, as long as the school is following state law, should not have an impact on your child's college admiss admissions chances. Now, this is something, though, because we're in Texas, we don't get an opportunity to um, participate in. But there are very there are a lot of state-funded resources that are available to parents across the country to help pay for private school tuition. So, can you talk about? what those options are and how um, how parents can take advantage of those. Certainly. So in more than half of U.S. states, there are publicly funded private school tuition assistance programs. What this means is that the states sponsor a program to help families afford private school tuition. And usually these programs are for families who are in lower or middle income brackets or families of students who have special learning needs. So the way these programs work is in any number of ways. There are actually a lot of different ways they work. In some cases, the state provides taxpayer money uh, that parents can then identify where they want to send their child to school up to a certain amount of money. In other cases, nonprofit organizations get a state, uh, get donations from companies and those companies get a state tax break for donating essentially tuition money uh, that parents can use. And so parents go to the organizations that the companies donated to, and those organizations help them apply to schools and get scholarships. So some of these things are called opportunity scholarships, tax credit scholarships, special needs scholarships. There's also tuition tax credit deductions um, where you can write off a portion of private school uh, off your state income tax, things like that. Here in Florida, where I live, there are several programs. We have a program that allows low-income families to get tuition assistance that's funded by companies and administered by a statewide organization called Step Up for Students. There are a few other programs, empowerment scholarships um, is one of those programs, and then there's a McKay scholarship program. One of them focuses on students who were previously bullied uh, another of those programs focuses on students who have special learning needs uh, and would be eligible for uh, private school education uh, through the K program. So every state is different in how they administer the programs. The bottom line, though, is these programs, in addition to privately offered scholarships, provide a way into private schools for families who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford them. And some of the states are much more generous than others. Yes. In Minnesota, they offer deductions between $1,600 and $2,500 per kid. And Wisconsin, right. it's $4,000 to $10,000 per kid. Yeah, and for example, in Washington, D.C., uh, it's $7,500 for a uh, D.C. Opportunity Scholarship to send your child to a private school. The program is restricted to students from very low-income families, which is beneficial to students in those families, but it is a generous scholarship. Florida has relatively generous scholarships too. In other states, parents have to pay some 
uh, and the scholarship covers the rest. But the goal of these programs has been to open the doors of private education to students who want to go to private schools, whose parents want them to go to private schools, but who otherwise would not be able to afford it. This is not a way for families who are already uh, well off, already sending their kids to private schools to get some extra money in their pocket. That's not how these programs works. Um, these programs work. But um, I would encourage parents, even if you don't live in a state that has these programs, look at private scholarships. There are great organizations, and I'm going to list two of them. One is called Children's Scholarship Fund. They give away tens of millions of dollars every year in scholarships to low and middle income families so kids can go to private schools. Another one is called ACE Scholarships. They give I believe tens of millions of dollars also to students uh, so that they can go to private schools. In addition to those organizations, individual schools have tuition assistance, local organizations do. So don't limit your search initially based on whether or not you think you could afford a school. I heard you mention parents can qualify for low income, special needs. Um, also another one is if you're in a district with a failing school. Right. And um, are the have those programs with uh, <clears throat> they're called uh, you know failing school voucher scholarship programs. Uh, I'm not a fan of the term failing school uh, because you know schools do change, but some policies are written that way. State policies are written that way. Are there also options for military families? In some states, that is a great question, and that is one of the things that I know people in Congress are working on right now is trying to expand choice and opportunity for military families because it's very important, especially with the number of transitions that many students and kids uh, in military families have to experience um, and the different learning environments that they have to, to go to. So there's a lot that goes into making a good choice for your um, child. And a lot of these programs are for parents from low-income families. And we know that many times parents from low-income families don't have a whole lot of time. They may be working a couple of jobs. They may not be um, incredibly educated about their different options. Are there, are there options for families that are low-income to um, be a little bit more hands-on and get some help in making these choices? Absolutely. And not to do another shameless plug, but this is one of the reasons I wrote the book. School Choice Roadmap, Seven Steps to Finding the Right School for Your Child. The reason I wrote the book is because parents have come up to me and said, listen, I know I want what is best for my kids, but sometimes education can seem really confusing. And um, can you just point me in the right direction and explain uh, some of the similarities and the differences between these types of schools and how to narrow down your options? And I kept looking around to point them in a direction that they've asked for and found that there wasn't anything. And I've been working in school choice now for 15 years, and I was a bit shocked that, you know, we talk about it and we let parents know about their options, but uh, there wasn't really anything out there to help parents navigate the whole school search process. And I don't think that parents, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, or whether they're somewhere in between, need their hands held throughout this process, but they do need information and they do need helpful tips that were provided by other families who've gone through this. 
everybody makes better choices with that information, no matter what we're choosing. So I wrote the book based on sort of those principles and with those goals in mind. And there are, however, even though there wasn't much information out there before this book, there have been organizations and there are organizations, for example, in Texas, an organization named Families Empowered does a great job walking parents through the school search process, helping them out, helping them identify uh, schools that will work for their kids. And there needs to be more organizations like Families Empowered across the country because they do incredible work. Is there a fee that is paid for those that oh. service or is it a nonprofit? There are about a dozen organizations like Families Empowered across the country. They're usually in major metropolitan areas, and none of them that I know of charge a fee in any way. They're nonprofits designed to help families from low-income uh, low families with these choices and help them navigate the process. But I'll also say that when we look at school choice overall, the options that we've talked about are for all families. So whether you're... Um, you know, lower income, working class, whether you're middle class, whether you're upper income, traditional public schools, public charter schools, public magnet schools, online public schools, private and religious schools, and homeschooling are all options that could be available for your family. So school choice is not a matter of, of just providing support for one demographic or another. It is for everybody and every family because every child learns differently. Many of the supporters of school choice have said that the importance of having options for families is partially to help improve school districts. Do you think that that has been the case? Has it forced the public school districts to improve and provide better services to their students? Well, here's how I'll answer that. I'll say yes to that because I think that having more choices helps all schools improve not just traditional public schools, but this idea that having as many choices available as possible will sort of put competitive pressure and force schools to improve assumes that the schools need to improve. In some cases, maybe they do. But I think that, that it helps all schools get better because they're more responsive. So a public charter school benefits from the competitive pressures of options and choice. A magnet school will, a private school will. We have seen improvements across all sectors of education because parents have more options and opportunities. Now, there is still a long way to go. There are places in this country where families do not have enough choices. And there are some states where there are few, if any, choices available. And so I would think the competitive pressure would provide not only more opportunities for families there, but an increased level of quality uh, among those choices as well. There's a lot of controversy about charter schools taking money from public schools. What would your response be to that? I would say that if people did not want charter schools for their children and they did not want a charter school in their community because it wasn't a good fit for kids there, that charter school never would have opened anyway or stayed open. And so charter schools are public schools and they're publicly funded, just like a district school is. The only reason charter schools stay open are because families choose them. And so if someone doesn't like a charter school in their community, they don't have to send their child to it, but other families might like it. And so when a child attends a charter school, 
that student isn't attending another school nearby. And if the funding follows the child to the school where the parents want the child to go, that means we're spending our tax dollars wisely because families are getting to choose where their kids' tax dollars uh, and, and education funding is going. Does the government provide the same amount of funding for a charter school student as they do public school students? In many cases, no. And in fact, in many cases, charter schools get a lower share of the per pupil expenses for student education than traditional public schools do. Um, and that's something that charter school advocates in state after state are trying to increase. You know, they want more funding for students in those schools. They want funding for the construction of charter school facilities in some cases. There's always going to be fights over funding and education. There always have been. Um, and I think there always will be. To me, the bottom line is let's have a system that is well funded but provides as many opportunities and as many options to families as possible so that every child or as many kids as possible can get an education that meets their unique needs and inspires them to learn, to be happy, and to succeed. And last question, and I'm glad you said that, what can we do as parents to advocate for improved and expanded school choices where we are? Well, the first thing I would say to do is number one, if you're asking this question, you're already likely involved, but be as involved in your child's school as possible. That is so important. Read to your child, work on your child's homework with, with them, um, get involved in school if at all possible and not just at fundraisers, You know, get involved in the learning side of things. And if you're doing all that and you still think that there needs to be more options, which in many cases there do need to be more options, talk to other parents form a local group of parents, talk to state legislators. There's a great new movie coming out called Miss Virginia, coming out on October 18th. It's about how one woman in Washington, D.C. saw the need for choice, created a movement, and got it done. Other parents can follow that lead. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has really been very fascinating and um, a lot of useful information. And um, we appreciate your time. Unfortunately, we are out of time. <laughs> but, thank uh, you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. We always want to let you know um, what's going on with Noggin um, at this time. And uh, we did say that it is our anniversary. So if you want to know more about Noggin Education, go to Noggin educationalfoundation.org and find out how you can get involved and in kind of some of the things that we're doing. And um, next week, our show will be a hot topic of school safety. Joining us will be Mansfield Chief of Police, Tracy Aaron, to discuss the state of safety in our schools and how parents can advocate for the protection of their children. Make sure you share that with your parent friends about next week. Um, as always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com, for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
And um, last but not least, we always want to end the show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the strength and the wisdom that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you want to know more about that, email us at info at schooldayshow.com. And always remember, go to our uh, website for any of the resources that we've mentioned on the show. Um, Andrew does have a book coming up. When can we um, order the book? You can order it right now. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, you name it. Um, And it's coming out on January 20th. On January 20th. Okay, well, we will be looking out for that. Thanks so much for joining us. And everyone, have a great week. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.